All right, if you'll take your Bible and turn to uh, James chapter 1. We are in this series on fatal distractions based on uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. You'll recall that um, the Hebrew writer talks about the fact that we are engaged in this race of life. And he says, be careful of the things that that can so easily entangle you that would keep you from running and finishing the race. Now, most of you probably have been watching some of the Olympics um, throughout the course of the last couple of weeks, and I watched last night some of the track and field, and one of the things I noticed about runners is runners, um, they, they, they wear very little clothing. They don't wear anything that could easily entangle them or trip them up or keep them from finishing the race. And so God says to us, there are certain things that in your life that can just entangle you so deeply and so profoundly that it kind of knocks you out of the race, the course that God has set for your life in the here and now. And so this is not an official list in the Bible. It's been commonly referred to throughout church history as the seven deadly sins. And so we've been looking at these seven deadly sins. I've called them fatal distractions. And today we're going to look at the lure of lust. And uh, next week we'll finish this series um, on the grip of greed. So uh, hopefully you've been uh, watching uh, online, if you've not been here live, and and tracking with us uh, on this series. Uh, What You say, well, what are we going to do after that? Well, we're going to go into another series called Discovering Your Mission. Uh, That will start August the 22nd, so um, you'll be receiving a notebook as you come in. I'm just giving you full warning. There will be tables set up. You can pick up a notebook that has all the notes, the scriptures, everything that we'll use for that four-week series on uh, discovering your mission, and it's really based on class 401 that I I teach uh, here at our our church. So we're going to dive into the lure of lust. So I obviously um, this is a message that has sexual content. So I will keep it as PG 13 as I can. Okay, PG 13. So let's just look at the word lust. Lust is a it, it refers to a longing for a person or a circumstance. Uh, or the fulfilling of an emotion. Now, you can lust after a lot of things, right? You can lust after food. Like, uh, you know, uh, you're sitting there and you've just uh, finished eating at a restaurant and you see this, you know, huge piece of pie uh, on somebody else's table and you start lusting for their pies. Like, I got to have that, right? I, I want that. I need that. And we convince ourselves of that. Uh, but I want us to, to look at the lure of lust from the context of the way that Satan leverages what God meant for good so that he can turn it around and use it for something that would enslave us in life, that would entangle us, that would force us off the track of life that God has set before us. Um, So remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean. Do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him, that is the Lord, and he will direct your paths. He will make them straight. He will put your feet on the path that leads to the best destination. So what's Satan's goal is to get your feet off that path, off the best destination to an alternative destination. And so one of the things that he uses in our lives, because we are sexual beings, that's the way God created us, is that he uses the lure of lust to entangle us, to ensnare us, to enslave us, and to get our feet on the wrong path that leads to a very destructive destination rather than one of of beauty and freedom. And so uh, 
Let's look in James chapter 1. James reminds us of this very scenario. He's, uh, he was talking about, you know, facing trials. And, and whenever you and I face a trial, or he called it a testing, uh, Satan can take a testing that God's using to mold and fashion us into the image of Christ and turn it around into a temptation uh, that would lead to our, our destruction if possible. Remember what Jesus said about Satan? He comes only to what? Only to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to kill your uh, joy. Uh, he wants to destroy a lot of things in your life. And one of the ways that he does that is through this, this issue of lust. So verse 13, chapter 1, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, you, want to, you might want to circle that, your own evil desire, right? You're dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to what? Death, right? That could be physical death. It can be spiritual. It can be emotional. It can be a lot of death, the death of a relationship. I mean, there's a lot of ways this is going to, can spell out in your life. So notice what James says, that he uses the word enticed. And that word enticed is a fishing term. It, it speaks of a lure. And you know, a lure is something that is baiting you into um, something that is enticing to you. But once you take the bait, once you take the lure, what Satan doesn't tell you is that there is a hook that is attached to that lure. And so now you've taken the bait and he sets the hook. And now when he sets the hook, you're trapped, right? You're enslaved. You are, you are at the will of the master who is holding the rod and reel. This is the picture that James is, is uh, showing us. And he says, nobody is exempt right? You're enticed by, by our own desires, our own lusts, which refers to legitimate longings that we are satisfying and mismanaging uh, in a way outside the boundaries for which God has set. So when it comes to sex, sexual things, God has set boundaries. Are those boundaries for our protection? That's a yes or no. Okay. Do I need to convince you? <laughs> Remember, God set boundaries for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Was that for their protection? Absolutely. He did not want them to experience what life would be like outside those boundaries. So when they partook of the forbidden tree, guess what they experienced? Life outside those boundaries. What did that bring into their existence? Shame and guilt and fear and ultimately death. I mean, it brought all kinds of negative things into their lives. And so God is giving us warning all through Scripture. Listen, I, I, I've, I've created you as a sexual being, and I have boundaries set up for that, how that works in the context of my boundaries, and it's a beautiful thing. But if you choose to be enticed outside the boundaries that I've set, there is a lure that Satan's using to entice you outside those boundaries. But it, and if you take that lure, he will set the hook, and he will have control of you. And uh, he's going to have a lot of control, as we're going to find out through the, the, this, um, this message today. Uh, so we, we, because of our fallen nature, 
we, uh, we are always trying to find satisfaction for our longings, but we don't always seek that satisfaction through the God-given means that God has set up, the boundaries, the parameters through which we can operate in fulfilling those longings. We are always tempted, our hearts are deceitful enough to step outside those boundaries. We are enticed by the evil one, and he knows that if we take the bait, that all of a sudden he sets the lure he sets the, the, um, the hook, and, and he has us. And today we're looking at this hook, this lure of lust, because it is, hap- it is absolutely destroying our culture. Destroying it. We are enslaved to it. If you don't believe me, let me share some statistics just around pornography, which is a predominant form of lust in our culture that Satan uses as a device to lead people astray and to enslave them. Do you know that $3,075.64 is spent on porn every single second on the internet of every day? Now get your mind around that figure for a minute. There is an average increase of 20... or um, at least 30% of all data transferred across the internet is porn-related. That rose another 24% during the pandemic when people were isolated. More than 50% of people engaging on online pornographic, pornographic interactions admit to losing their interest in sexual intercourse. Porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and, twin, and Twitter combined every month. of young adults actively seek out pornography every single week or more often. And guess what? They have a little device. They can hide that from their parents now. And I know parents say, well, my child will never be doing that. Really? You're naive. They have access to the internet. They have access to all kinds of things 24-7, just like the rest of us. 51% of male students, 32% of female students first viewed porn before their teenage years. 64% of Christian men, and just under that of Christian women, are now addicted to pornography. It is, a, it is an epidemic in the church, but nobody wants to talk about it, and nobody wants to deal with it, and I think it's a shame. Because it is a device that Satan is using against the church, the people of God, and we're not even realizing the destructive power that it brings along with it. Because it enslaves, and it enslaves to the, to the core of your being, because uh, sexual activity is not just about the body. It is about body, soul, and spirit. It is the most in-depth form of relationship you can have with another human being, and that's why if you have ever suffered from a sexual assault like rape or molestation, it can take years, if not a lifetime, to get over that because it, takes, it, it wounds you to the inner core of your being. So let me give you a picture of lust in Scripture because the Bible is not shy about dealing with this issue. You know, David gave a look to Bathsheba, and he continued to look long after he should have been looking and should have turned away, and it cost him, and it cost him dearly. You know the story how he took Bathsheba, had Uriah killed, took Bathsheba, and had a sexual relationship with her. She conceived and so, he, you know, he has to get rid of her husband, Uriah. And, and so what did this cost David in the end? It, it nearly cost him his throne. 
It cost him the sexual misconduct of his children, the rape of his daughter, the death of his infant son, and eventually the deaths of two of his older sons. It was a price that was extremely high to pay because Satan set out a lure. He grabbed the lure and he, Satan set the hook and there's always consequences once that hook has been set. You think about Samson. Samson um, was, had more potential and leadership skills than probably anybody else in the Bible rather than Jesus himself. God had called him out of the womb and singled out to be destined for greatness as he, he would give Israel the opportunity to rise to the nation that God wanted them to be. But he allowed, again, lust to overcome. He was, I call him the Bible by, uh, bodybuilder who, he, you know, he was a he-man with a she-weakness. And you see this all through his life. And here's what it says in Judges 14 too. When Samson returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go and get her for me as my wife. And those words plagued Samson all of his life because first he wanted the female girl of Timnah and then he went to the Philistine harlot in Gaza and then to the Philistine woman named Delilah. And by the time Samson gets to Delilah, he has been completely ruled and ruined by lust. And it cost him a premature death. Or you take Solomon who tried to trade it in his commitment to God with commandments for political maneuvering. And had, you know, hundreds of wives and concubines for political reasons and purposes. And as a result, he ended up with a cynical attitude towards life, an empty heart, and an empire that was filled with division. Now, here's why I point these three individuals out, because they all three have something in common, and you need to know what that is, because listen, Satan has not changed his strategy one iota because he knows it is effective. Here's the strategy. You need to understand what his end game is all about. I put this on your outline. Whatever you focus your attention on, eventually you will focus your affection on it, which will ultimately determine the direction of your life. All right, when you, when you get hooked on pornography and you are now focusing your attention on that, and now it has gripped you, it, Satan has set the hook, now your affections get tied to it, and it ultimately sets the direction of your life. Try to unhook yourself from that, it's not an easy task at all. I can't tell you in the last 30 years of pastoring how many families I've had to deal with and Men and women whose lives have been absolutely ripped apart because of pornography, which led to affairs, which led to breakup of families, that led to children crying out for daddy or mommy because they have now vacated the home. And it all started with something that was seemingly innocent at first. But the outcome was anything but. So how do we fight the battle of lust? Now, uh, I just want to know that um, if you're a man, please do not sit there in denial as though you do not have this problem because you do. And if you're a woman, you have the same problem, but it might be in a little different perspective or a different way. This is something I've saved for last. This, I believe that lust and greed are the two main ingredients that Satan has so enslaved even God's people with that, that has so entangled us that oftentimes we're not walking the path that God has set for us because 
this has gripped us and has lured us off that path. And as a result of that, we're not living in the freedom of Christ. We're not living the the life that Christ asks us to live. And one of the reasons we're going to follow this up with your mission is, and one of the reasons we're not on mission with the Lord Jesus Christ is because we feel so shameful and so guilty over this and thinking, well, I can't get a handle on this. I can't get free from this. How can I tell somebody else about Jesus and what he can do for them when I can't even get it done myself? So listen and listen closely. Here's number one, you have to minimize, you have to minimize your opportunities for lust. I didn't say you eliminate them because nobody can eliminate them. We don't live in that kind of culture. Scantily clothed women are shoved in our face all the time and provocative, you know, things with men. Sex sells in our country and in our culture and it's everywhere. There's nowhere you can go to get away from it comes up on TV commercials, it's in books, it's in magazines, it's on the internet, it's on your news feed, it's on your Facebook feeds, it's everywhere. You can't eliminate it, but you can minimize it. I want to give you four ways to do that. Number one is you have to recognize Satan's plan. Recognize his plan. He is a skillful, skillful fisherman, but he does not play catch and release. Get that in your head. He, he plays for keeps. So his goal is to wreck you. Steal, kill, destroy. To wreck your life, to wreck your family, to wreck your legacy, to wreck your testimony any way that he can. Now, when I was in Boone, uh, North Carolina, on vacation, um, there are a lot of opportunities there to fish for trout because there's a lot of trout streams. And one of the things I noticed um, in several of the magazines, people were asking the local fishermen, hey, what's the best lure to use for catching trout? And so they, they commented, so these, these are the two best lures. Here's the best time of the day to use those lures. And here are some really um, hot fishing spots. Now, most... Um, like really good fishermen never give up their spot, okay? They'll tell you a spot. They're not going to give up their spot. But here's, here's what Satan knows. Here's what a good fisherman knows. He knows where to go to find the fish, what lure is best to use for that fish, and what time of the day. This is what Satan knows about you. He knows the best place to get you to make you more susceptible to the lure of lust than any other time in your life. He knows exactly what lure to use and he knows the best time to use it on you. So you better know yourself. You know when you're most vulnerable to this kind of situation, right? Where is it that you are? Are you home alone? Is it in the workplace? Is it somewhere else? What time of the day is it? Is it in the morning? And maybe it's in the evening after everybody else has gone to bed. You're all by yourself. You've got a computer in front of you. And when are you most susceptible? Is it because you're angry? You're frustrated? Uh, you, you feel like life's not going well for you? I mean, what is your emotional state of being when you feel yourself most susceptible to this lure of lust? You better know yourself well because I can assure you, your fisherman, Satan, knows you well. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He has studied your patterns. He knows when you are most susceptible and most vulnerable. And might I say, you probably know that as well also. 
but you just disregard it. Maybe you're tired, maybe you're bored, you're off guard, you're stressed out. Again, there's the thing about the lure, it hides the hook. It appears innocent, it appears intriguing to the fish. And so it is with you. It might start off with something innocent. A lure that Satan has set before you, hoping that you'll take that lure, set the, the hook so they can pull you uh, in this, this lust in, within you and pull you into perhaps a relationship with someone else other than your spouse. It all begins so innocently. It begins with a conversation with somebody at work and, uh, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're, you're feeling a little frustrated in your marriage and you're feeling a little um, you know, my wife's not as attentive as she used to be, and my husband's not meeting my needs like he used to be, and things are happening in the relationship, and there's, you know, life happens, right? So life gets overwhelming, it gets frustrating at times, it gets stressful, it gets, I mean, sometimes you're just exhausted as parents, especially when you have small kids, and, and things aren't going well, and all of a sudden it's just an innocent conversation, but that conversation then goes on day after day, and then lines are crossed that should not be crossed, that... Again, there's no real warning there. There's no like big red flag that comes up. But inside, you just know you're crossing a line you probably should not cross. But nothing seems to be happening. Nothing seems to be, you know, really going anywhere. But then all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's, it's a look. It's a touch. It's, it's a voice. It's your imagination that begins to take over. Billy Graham used to say, um, when it comes to lust, it's not the first look that gets us in trouble it's the second and the third, and when it drops into your fantasy world. And you begin thinking, well, I wonder what it would be like to be with this person. I wonder what life would be like with her or with him. And Satan suddenly draws you in, and eventually when you have taken the bait, he sets the line. And you know what happens to a fish when you set the line and the hook? has hooked them, they immediately begin swimming for their life, right? They're trying to get away. They're trying to, to save themselves. Trout will run. And so what's the fisherman do? He leads a little line out then. He lets them run a little while and he lets them exhaust themselves so it's much easier then to reel them in. And this is exactly what Satan does with us. He'll let you run a little bit, right? No consequences at first. You might feel a little shame. There might be a little guilt. But then your, your conscience begins to justify and to reason as to, well, that's, it's okay. I'm, I'm not done anything wrong. I've, you know, it's just a conversation. It's just a, listen, I've counseled enough couples who have had affairs. I can tell you it, it doesn't matter who it is. There is a very distinct pattern how this all unfolds. And it all begins very innocent and very subtle at the first. But here's what every one of them has said to me at the end. When the hook is set, the lure was taken, the hook was, hook was set. And then it was found out they were having an affair. Most all of them say, I never ever thought it could happen to me. You better believe it can happen to you. Because if you don't think it can happen to you, then you will not set up the proper safeguards to keep it from happening to you. And Satan loves that. You're just an easy, easy target for him. And so some of you need to probably put some safeguards on your phone, some safeguards on your computer. Listen, Satan, again, doesn't practice catch and release. This is why Jesus says, why James says it leads to death and why Jesus says, listen, when it comes to sexual sin, Pluck out your eyes if you need to. 
Now, he's not literally telling you to take your eyeballs out. That's a hyperbole, which means he's making an exaggerated statement to say a, a very pointed thing. You better deal with sexual sin ruthlessly because if you don't, it will enslave you. It will entangle you. It will take you off the path. It will even lead sometimes to death. So deal with it ruthlessly. Don't play around with it. This is not a game. So you need to recognize Satan's plan, refrain from inappropriate conversations, Listen, with more and more men and women working together in the workplace, inappropriate, intimate conversations between a married man and a married woman should never take place, all right? I'm not saying you don't have conversations with women. I'm just saying there are lines you cannot cross, and you better not cross. Because if you do, you're simply opening yourself up for a temptation that you really do not need. So I want to make a statement. Uh, when Satan puts his lure in front of you, I want, I, I want to make a statement to you, and I want you to remember this. Whenever there is an emotional readiness in your life, Satan will always provide the bait. Always. Your marriage gets into trouble, and you're not, it's just not going well, and you're having conversations, and you're in an emotionally vulnerable position, Satan will provide someone for you to engage in that conversation, and to take it to places you never thought it would go. Do not go there. It is a trap. He is setting you up. Know that. Do whatever it takes to keep that from happening. Number three is to run from obvious opportunities. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, that we are to flee from sexual immorality. He doesn't say flirt with it. He doesn't say flaunt it. He says Flee. Now, the Greek word for that is fuego, which literally means to run away, to shun, to distance yourself, to escape from the situation. Kind of like what Joseph did, right? Back in the Old Testament, Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him. He flees. He runs. I mean, he's, he's, he's dropped his cloak. I mean, he's, he's, he's going out, but he's fleeing. He's getting away from the situation. So you, you need to look. Here's the point is, the, is this. You had better have an escape plan before the temptation comes, not after. Because we are sexual beings and we are emotional beings. When this all starts to unfold in your life, whether through pornography or you're engaging in inappropriate um, relationship with somebody else sexually. Uh, listen, uh, the time to flee is not when the temptation's all over you because you, you, you don't have the power to do that. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't give you the power to do that. I'm just simply saying is you need to have a strategy. L listen, Paul said, do not be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. You need to have a strategy and escape plan how you're going to avoid this. If you know when you're vulnerable, you know the place, you know the time, you know the situation, when all of that begins to come up against you, what are you going to do? Because, listen, the flesh cries out, give in, give in, give in, and, and there's that, that Again, sexual sin goes so deep into our spirit and our soul, and we just, we, we, we can't say no. It's like we just, we're like robots. Sometimes you're in a situation you, you can't physically flee, but you better have an escape plan, right? So my wife and I took someone in this church out for lunch a few weeks ago, and 
we went to a, we were sitting outside and, and had a small square table. And, and so um, I'm looking at the, the menu and um, my wife and this other person was looking at their menus and the waitress come up and she's talking to them and I'm not paying attention. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what I want to eat for lunch. And so she took my wife's order and she took this other person's order and then it was my turn. So I looked up and when I looked up, she was bent over the table. I'm, just, I'm telling you, her tatas were just like all, all over the place. You, you get the picture. And so when, when she asked me a question, I, just as I turned and it's like from here to here and I'm, I'm like, now I forgot the question. So I'm like, so what do you do? Uh, right, so you, I can't just physically get up and, and leave. So I, I turn back to the menu and I ask her a question pointing to the menu, never making eye contact with her and said, then I looked up and I looked straight into her eyes and said, that's what I'll have. See, that, that is kind of an escape plan. It's kind of a, uh, let's divert your eyes. Let's, let's divert, let's, let's change the situation so that you're not giving into something that, that may be, uh, you know, plaguing you or haunting you or enticing you at that given moment in time. Listen, if you're not married, what does this look like? It is that you're trying to keep yourself from marriage. You're, you're, you're trying to keep the relationship at the forefront. It is a sin. Lust is a sin that we rather satisfy than, than suppress. And so what the Bible tells us is that we need to prepare ourselves for that given moment that we are tempted. Now, our culture says that God is anti-sex. Nothing could be further from the truth. It was his idea. If you think God is anti-sex, you need to read the Song of Solomon. You'll find out otherwise. God created it for our pleasure and for procreation. Within the context of marriage, that's the boundaries that he set it. And he did it for a very good reason. I mean, is fire good or bad? Well, that depends where the fire is. If it's in your, in your fireplace, it's good. But if it gets outside of your fireplace, then it's bad. It burns down your house. Is sex good or bad? Well, that depends on where it is. What's happening? God has designed the boundaries and says it's good. It's, it's meaningful. It's pleasurable. It's the, it's the deepest part of a relationship you can have with another human being. It's a beautiful thing so long as it's done in its proper boundaries. But when it gets outside of that boundary, then things can begin to deteriorate very quickly. So here's the last one. You have to retain accountability. Um, many people carry around sexual se- secrets and fantasies and struggle and um, really have no outlet. You, 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 you have no accountability to someone around you. Listen, James goes on to say in this very book that, listen, Christians, we are to confess our sins to one another um, so that we can what? Find healing. It's not that I go out and tell everybody, hey, I've got a, a porn problem or I've got a lust problem. That's not what I'm saying for you to do. I'm simply saying you need to find a counselor. You need to find a mentor. You need to find a trusted friend that you can have somebody hold you accountable to this area of your weakness. Because if you do not, the likelihood of you overcoming this sin on your own is almost nil. Nada. Won't happen. This is a heart, this is something that's so heavy on my heart for men, and, and um, you know, I, I, I've been wanting to start a, a group um, 
the, dealing with this issue of, of pornography, and I'm hoping to be able to launch that in, in the fall. Uh, it will not be here at the church because I don't want people coming and say, well, let's see who's at the the event, uh, right? So it'll be somewhere else. But, I, but I, my heart just is it, just, it's an angst about this because I've seen this ruin so many lives, so, so many lives. And pornography is, is, is now expanded into human trafficking and all the other things, the evilness that comes with all of that. Number two, you've got to monitor your thoughts. Minimize your opportunities for lust. Monitor your thoughts. This is a mind battle. It starts in the mind, right? Guard your eyes, first of all. You've got to guard your eyes. The book of Proverbs says this over and over again. Here's why. Scientifically, we know that as scientists are studying the brain and how it works and operates, that when you look at things, that your mind takes in what you're looking at, and the brain um, begins to take in the information, and it forms what's called neuro neuroplasticity, which means that your mind is literally like a ball of wire, and your mind can be can be molded and shaped like plastic can. It can be rewired. And this is exactly, watch this, exactly what pornography does. It rewires the mind. And as the mind is getting rewired, as it's rewired, it's forming and fashioning around that which it is looking at and and formulating. And so then the mind uh, conceives it and it now it wants more of the same stimuli. This is why pornography is so addictive because the mind begins to crave it. Now, what is true in pornography is true in the mind and other areas of life also. Good things, right? Healthy things, beneficial things. That's just the way the mind works. I, I have a book by a neuroscientist uh, that's been studying this, the, the rewiring of the mind through pornography. And so the the pathways make the connections and they connect faster and faster. But here's the problem it is the law of diminishing return. As you get hooked into pornography, now because the mind is rewiring, it takes more and more stimulus to get the same effect. And so now rather than looking at it once a week, it's got to be twice a week and then four times a week. And rather than looking at soft porn, now it's got to go to hard porn and on and on it goes. This is the way the mind is. It's a beautiful thing God has given to us, but it craves whatever it is stimulated by. So your mind literally begins craving porn to satisfy your lust, which cannot be satisfied through porn. It only makes it crave it more. So you, you have to guard your eyes. What are you looking at? What are you allowing through the eye gate that filters into your mind? Listen, nobody has control over that but you. I, I can't help someone who does not want help. You can't help somebody who doesn't want help. You, you will ruin your life trying to help somebody who doesn't want help. If you have a, a, a child that's an addict, if they don't want help, you can't help them. You can ruin your life trying to help them, but until they want help, until they're willing to say, enough is enough, I need, to, I, need to, I need to kick this, I need to get over this, I need to find healing in this, 
The same way with pornography. I'm telling you, what are you looking at? What are you filling your eyes with? Then you safeguard your media intake, right? And so we live in a culture that is defined by lust. And again, every commercial, every advertisement, your newsfeed, body, sexuality, it all sells. And so when you go, watch this, when you go to bed at night, do you know what your mind does all night long? It reshuffles everything that you have looked at. Everything that you have put into your mind, it goes, it's like a deck of cars that are like scattered all over the place. And the human mind begins sorting those out and filing those in a file cabinet in your mind. And so now, not only was your mind stimulated during the daytime, now it's being stimulated all night long as it's reshuffling all of those images. I'm simply saying this, as Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, you had better be very, very careful about what you put into your mind because everything you put into your mind ultimately has something to say about the direction of your life. If you really want to stop and you really want to take this Trojan horse out of your life, right, guys? Stop convincing yourself the reason you take Sports Illustrated is because you love to read Sports Illustrated. No, it's probably, maybe it's about the swimsuit issue, if you were honest. Maybe the reason why you have things like Cinemax and HBO and some of those channels that show a lot of R-rated and worse movies is because, yeah, quite frankly, at night, you're alone. You can turn it on at any given moment. Be honest. Maybe the reason you haven't put filters on your computer or your apps on your phone that you can filter your phone from pornographic sites is because, eh, well, you know, I really just... No, if you're dead serious about this, you will take every measure humanly possible to guard your heart and your mind and to put limitations upon what you allow your eyes to see and to look at and to dwell upon. At every opportunity, you ought to ask yourself, what am I doing? Is this for the honor and the glory of God? Is this for the honor and glory of my marriage? Is this for the honor and the glory of my children? You have to take those thoughts captive and bring them into obedience to Christ. Here's why Job made a covenant with his eyes. I give you that passage is this, because Job realized unless his love for God is stronger than the lure that is in front of him, He'll take the lure. He'll take it. And so one of the assurances, and he says, you know, I, I got to build this love relationship. This is why Romans 8 says, if you will walk in the spirit, you will not indulge the lust of the flesh. I'm telling you, if your love for Jesus doesn't outweigh the lure that is in front of you, you'll probably take it. So you better start working on that relationship more than anything other than the relationship with your spouse. The more you think about something, the more likely you are to act on that thought. Remember, your attention becomes your affection, which sets the direction of where your feet go. You know, outstanding athletes have learned that if they can picture and rehearse whether they're a runner or, or they play in some sport, that they can, if they can picture and rehearse in their mind, you know, um, 
Psychologists have, have studied all of this, and they, they rehearse every move, every action. Have I mean, you ever seen skiers when they're at the top of the slope? They close their eyes, and they're going through the motion. They're, they're, running, the, they're running the slope before they've ever left the top of that mountain. Why do they do that? Because it has been proved uh, scientifically that, it, that if you can rehearse that in your mind, that it is, is more advantageous than if you're actually taking the run physically. Because the mind starts rewiring itself. It starts preparing itself. It gets every action, every movement in place so that when you step off that mountain, now your mind and body just automatically takes over. Even golfers, professional golfers say this. If you want to learn how to play golf, they say one of the things you need to do, you need to visualize the shot. You need to see it in your mind. You, you need to picture it exactly the ball flight because then the mind and the body just takes over. So it can be used negatively. It can be used positively. And so um, here's what I wrote down. Every day I want to remember that the pleasure of my love relationship with God is more thrilling and rewarding than the empty ecstasy of pornography. Number three, magnify the consequences of your sin. Always ask yourself the question, what story do I want to tell at the end of my life and what story do I want told about me? Do you know that Satan has a big trophy case of a lot of fish he's caught? Famous people, not famous people, uh, but, but with all of those trophies in his trophy case, you know, one day we're all exiting this world, and what's the story that's going to be told about you? Well, you know, dad was doing well, but then all of a sudden he got caught up in lust and an affair and ruined our family, and is that the story you want told? I don't. It destroys families. It destroys relationships. It cuts deep. And I've heard people say, well, this is my body and I can do whatever I want with it. Not if you're a believer in Christ. Paul says, you've been bought with a price. Your body's no longer your own. You need to honor and glorify God with everything you do. My question always for people is, what's your end game here? Now, where do you think this is going to take you? Do you think that you're so good that you can separate out this section of your life and not have it filter over into every aspect of your marriage and your relationships with your kids, with your spouse, with other people? You're not that good. Nobody can do that. It affects everything. That's why it is so dangerous, and that's why God says so much about it in the Word of God. I mean, I could do many messages on this, and probably one day will, and I'll give you forewarning. Uh, but um, I, it, this is a subject that for years Christians would not talk about in the church. We better start talking about it because it is absolutely destroying the lives of God's people and our children growing up in this kind of culture. They better be prepared on how to handle what is about to happen to them. Do you know the average age for um, a person being introduced to pornography is age 12? And for some of you, it was younger. For me, I think I was like 9 or 10 years old. My friend found his father's stash, and that's how it all began. So if you don't want this overtaking your life, I'm telling you, you, you better get a handle on it. And here's the best way. 
and I close with this, is that if you really want to get a handle on lust and the lure of lust is you want to maximize your marriage if you're married. Maximize your marriage. Um, let me just read for you and out of Proverbs chapter 5. Here's what Solomon said. I'll just make a couple comments and we're done. Verse 15, he says, Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares. Now, Solomon's been talking about the the lure of lust up to this point. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you be ever captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. I've asked people, couples, do you have a plan on how you're not going to have an affair? And of course, the, the, no. Bad plan. Uh, here's why. According to the Journal of Psychology and Christianity, up to 65% of husbands and 55% of wives will commit adultery by the age of 40. They didn't have a plan. I know how it all starts. Again, it all starts very innocently. And it all ends up, I never thought it would happen to me. Most people neglect their marriages over time. We get busy, we get distracted, we get overwhelmed. There's life, there's bills, there's children, there's school, there's chores, there's church and work. And we're tired, we're exhausted. There's no time to take care of yourself as you once did. And things begin to get put on the back burner and, and life isn't, just isn't going well. Maybe the marriage isn't going well and there's a busyness that... It, begins to affect our intimacy, not just sexual intimacy, but the intertwined intimacy of talking and sharing and planning together and dreaming together and all the things that you used to do and once did when you fell in love. And so Solomon comes along and he says, listen, you want to have some words of wisdom? Do whatever it takes to avoid this temptation. Or as I put it, um, in essence, when the grass starts looking greener somewhere else, you better start watering your lawn because it ain't greener somewhere else. Marla and I were walking on a path um, and it was going up to a cemetery we were going to and had all this lush farmland, all these cattle out there. And I mean, beautiful farmland, beautiful fields. All the cows are out there eating except for one cow has his neck stuck through a barbed wire fence, eating the grass on the other side of that fence while the barbed wire is like, you know, cutting up through his, his throat. I'm thinking, you've got this beautiful field out here and you got to have this over here on the other side of this fence. But isn't that humanity? Right? So if I'm not watering my own line, if I'm not maximizing my own marriage, if I'm not developing a depth in my own relationship with my own spouse, remember when there is an emotional readiness, Satan will always come along with the bait. So let me give you a few clues here. Number one, get transparent. You've got to share your feelings about what's going on on the inside. 
So if you are struggling with the lure of lust, it's great to consult a counselor. It's great to maybe consult a friend. Somebody can help hold you accountable. But listen, you need to be open with your spouse about this. And let me just say this to spouses. If your spouse says, you know what? I'm struggling in this area. I think I need help in this area. Can you make some suggestions about how I might filter this out of my life? If you respond to your husband by saying, that's the most disgusting, perverted thing I've ever heard, he will shut down, he will go underground, and he will continue on. You just won't know about it. I've seen that happen many times in marriages. Or vice versa. When the wife confesses to the husband, There's, I've got a problem here, and this is what I've been doing, and and then he shuts down and shuts her out. Can we just be honest with each other here? We're all a mess. Do you not notice that? And if we can't be open and honest and transparent with the most important person in your life, your spouse, then who can we be transparent and honest with? Listen, you need one another. If this is an issue for you, you need one another to help navigate through this. Get transparent. Get alone. Take time for yourself to think about, pray about, and reflect on your marriage. Where do you want your marriage to be? Now, guys, I'm telling you, women have a built-in marriage manual. If I ask a, a, a woman, how's your marriage going? How's the relationship going? She can write me four or five pages. If I ask a guy the same question, fine. Wonderful. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, she's not left, so I guess everything's fine. You'll be wise as a husband to tap, tap into that marriage manual of your wife and then begin implementing that into your relationship. Just a thought. My wife and I, all throughout our, our marriage, we'll be married this year 44 years. You know that our first 10 years was a wreck, but we decided, you know what, we're going to work on this. We're going to get transparent with one another. We're going we're gonna to spend time. We're going we're gonna to make sure that we spend time working on the relationship. Even when we had children, we would vacate one time a year for a weekend to go to a marriage conference or seminar, not because our marriage was bad at that time, but we just didn't want to get worse again. We wanted to keep working on the relationship. We made sure we spent time each week and, and time from, you know, a quarterly or whatever to get alone, to do things together. And our, listen, when we had date night, here was the rule of thumb. You cannot talk about the kids because otherwise all your time spent talking about the kids. It's not talking about one another. It's not being transparent. It's not working on the relationship, which you need to do. This is what Solomon's saying. Number three is get spiritual. Don't complicate this. Pray. Read God's word together. Um, listen, God's word is the great transformer of your thought processes. The, the reason Paul says that the word of God can, can wash your mind is because, listen, your mind's like a computer. You know, there is computer software that can wash, literally wash your hard drive and, and wipe out all the bad stuff off your computer. Well, that is exactly what God's word does for the mind. I'm telling you, you got to get into God's word. You got to keep flushing out uh, the bad stuff out of your thought processes and put in the good stuff and stay in the word, stay in prayer, 
talk about this as a husband and wife, what God's speaking to you, what God's saying to you, what God's doing in your life, so that together you grow deeper and deeper in love with Jesus, so that your love for Jesus and your love for your spouse supersede your love for lust. And here's the last one, get help. If you'll be honest, you know whether or not you're already in the throes of all of this. Get help. You need to take radical action. In the culture we live in today, no one walks around without some sexual wounds. Our minds are injured, our souls are numbed, and while you can protect your injury and prevent it from getting worse, remember that only God can heal it, and that's exactly what he desires to do, but it's going to take three things. Truth, grace, and time. Truth, grace, and time. Let God remove the hook Bring about healing and forgiveness rather than being remaining enslaved to the lure and the lust of what's plaguing you. Let's bow our heads. Father, we, uh, God, we just, we are so reminded um, just through normal life that we just can't do this stuff on our own. That, Lord, we, we are... F- far too weak in our own human strength and ability. And Lord, I, I pray that if, if anyone is here in self-denial, that, that God, the Holy Spirit, would just confront them of that, that we can't do this apart from you with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can give us the self-control that is necessary to overcome these, these lures in our life that are plaguing us and haunting us that we're giving into allowing to enslave us and moving our feet off that path of the destination you have ultimately for us and putting it on other alternative destinations that Satan has awaiting for us that always leads to death of some form. So I pray for every person here. I pray for every person listening to this message online that God, we we would take serious this problem It's not out there in the world around us, but you said these evil lusts, these desires are within us, inside of us. And we know our hearts are deceptive enough to convince ourselves that we don't have a problem when in fact we do. So Lord, I pray that victory would be won here today. We know that victory comes through Jesus. That's why Jesus died on the cross for our sins that he might provide us with forgiveness remove the guilt and the shame and to replace it with his grace and his mercy and his love and kindness. So I pray for those who have never trusted Jesus to be Savior and Lord of their life, that today they would put their faith, their hope, and trust in him and him alone for the salvation of their soul, for the forgiveness of their sins, for the removal of the shame and the guilt, because only you can remove that, oh God. And we know that the gospel of Jesus has the power to save us and to heal us Lord, to remove the the hook from our mouths. And I know that we cannot undo all the consequences of our actions, but Lord, certainly we can from this day forward begin walking in the freedom that Jesus has come to enable us to experience. I pray that over our church. I pray that over anyone listening online. God, we want freedom. And we know our freedom is Jesus. So Lord, may we grow to love him more more and more every single day. 
so that that love outweighs the lure that Satan has in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.